Kuyamura Dumela Sabona, and my name is Lesejo, and I have the privilege of serving the body of Christ through Fellowship City. And in this morning in particular, I have the privilege of opening God's word for us as we continue in our series in the book of Acts. So Reino kicked off our series with an overview of Acts. He did a phenomenal job teeing up our series. He also in the same sermon taught us about the Holy Spirit. Reino unpacked that the the Holy Spirit is the promised Holy Spirit. And we saw that Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit will come and it will empower them to be witnesses. And we saw that in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Last week, Reno taught us about finding God's will. He looked at three main points, making decisions based on God's redemptive plan, knowing the revealed will of God and understanding the concealed will of God in light of the revealed will. And we saw how the the disciples used these three points to make decisions, specifically in appointing another disciple in replacement of Judas who had betrayed Jesus a few days uh, or a few weeks before. If you missed any of these sermons, please feel free to catch them on YouTube or on your favorite audio podcast platform. So that's chapter one. This morning, we start a mini series basically a series within a series as we look at chapter two with greater detail. So let's ask and pray to God that he would help us through his spirit to engage with this text as we dig into this word. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that this morning that you would help us as we come to your word. We pray that you would enable us to hear you speaking We pray that as we open your word, that our hearts would be engaged to hear from you and that we would not be distracted by whatever's happening around us. I pray that you'd help us to focus and focus on you. I pray that this morning that we would hear you speak through your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would work in us the things that you would want us to know, to say and do. May the meditation of our heart be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So sometimes when we preach, we look at a section of text. We grapple with that particular section. We grapple with what that section means. Um, Sometimes we even go line by line exposition of the text. And sometimes we even go theme by theme. As I just mentioned, this morning we start a mini-series within a greater series in this book of Acts, specifically in chapter two. So think of your favorite burger. If you like me, it will be simple. You'll have a top and bottom bun to hold it together. This top and bottom bun will essentially make you or help you enjoy this burger. If you're like me, it'll be juicy, it'll be substantial, it'll have patty, it'll have cheese, it'll have egg, it'll have bacon. I think uh, it will have egg. Let's make sure there is egg there. It won't have garnish, um, it won't have um, uh, gherkins. It will be a clean, simple burger. This morning, not every section that we are going to look at 
is a part of the burger, but every section helps us to understand and appreciate the whole burger as we look at the whole of Acts chapter two. Kind of like a spotlight that you would see placed on the burger as they advertise it. You'll see a nice spotlight that's coming from the side, spotlighting the whole of the burger. We will ultimately take two or three bites of this burger towards the end of our time together. Um, and over the next few weeks, we will look at the different sections of it and how to best enjoy it. Or think about a TV series that has flashbacks, basically a storyline within a storyline um, where the director keeps coming back to parts of the story and double-clicking parts that they went over. So think of Grey's Anatomy, This Is Us, or Blacklist. They tell the bigger story and then cut back to spotlight some parts that would enrich the whole story. So we will this morning put a spotlight on the whole of Acts chapter two. Then over the next few weeks, we will spotlight some of the sections to enrich Acts chapter two. So let's put a spotlight on Acts two. Let's understand why Acts two exists. Let's understand what the different parts of Acts two look like, what they mean. And we're gonna do so using three main points. So the first one will be the event or the events of Pentecost. So Acts starts off by speaking about Pentecost as we saw when Tandio was reading. Starts off by speaking about Pentecost. So we will unpack what Pentecost means. We'll understand where this word comes from and look quickly over what has happened before Acts 2. So we'll understand what the events of Pentecost are. Then we'll look at the explanation of Pentecost. We will see the response of Pentecost or we'll see the response of the events of Pentecost as Tandi we read. One of the responses was people perplexed and asking what these events mean. So we'll be looking at that. What do these events of Pentecost mean? Then we'll look at how has Pentecost changed things. We will see the response to the change brought by Pentecost. And we'll understand how the events and the explanation should change us, should change things. So let's, let's start. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 starts off with when the day of Pentecost had arrived, as Tandi we read for us. So, what is Pentecost? Before we can understand the events of Pentecost, it's always good to understand what Luke means by the word Pentecost and maybe look back to understand how he uses that word. So, we're going to look back a little at chapter 1 of Acts and also what happened just before Acts 2. So just before this time, we know that Jesus, before his ascension and after his death and resurrection, Jesus appears to the disciples. Jesus shows them many convincing truths to present himself as alive to them. And we see these truths better expressed in Luke chapter 24. So remember, Reino mentioned that Acts and Luke are written by the same author. So in Luke chapter 24, verse 39 to 43, we see the convincing truths that Jesus uses to present himself as alive to the disciples. So he appears to them. So in Acts chapter 1, verses 3, then continues to paint a picture of Jesus staying with the disciples. So he appears to them, shows them convincing truths, stays with them for 40 days, which is what we see in Acts chapter 1 verse 3. So can you imagine the moments? Can you imagine the disciples chilling, talking, praying, 
with Jesus. Remember, they had a, a good, tight relationship. They spent a lot of time together. But this was only for 40 days. We know that Jesus must ascend to be with the Father and establish his kingdom. We see this again in Luke. Um, you can imagine a sense of loss as well from the disciples as Jesus ascends. Um, but Jesus leaves them with a promise. And the promise we see in Acts chapter 1, verse 5. While he was talking with them, while he was sharing the, the nuggets about God's kingdom, he gave them a promise, promise that the Father will send the Holy Spirit so that they would be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Some versions baptized in the Holy Spirit a few days from now. So baptized by or baptized in the Holy Spirit a few days from now. We see the same sentiment again in Luke. because the same author. So imagining the sadness the disciples are filled with some hope and the sadness about the Holy Spirit that is to come. So on the seventh day after ascension, so now Jesus has ascended. The disciples were with him for 40 days. They, they spoke with Jesus. They, Jesus taught them. Jesus told, told, them the, told them that the Holy Spirit is to come and he ascends. And when he ascends, the seventh day after that, the disciples gather to celebrate the festival of weeks. So this is an important Jewish festival because it is a day when all of Israel, so all of Israel would come to the temple to celebrate in God's presence. And they're celebrating 50 days after Passover when Jesus delivered them from Egyptian bondage. And they celebrating the end of the grain harvest and they're bringing all their gratitude to God. That's why they're meeting together. The day after Passover, Israel would bring a sheaf of grain as a first offering to God in anticipation of a greater harvest. So this greater harvest is celebrated at the festival of weeks. So at Passover, they bring a sheaf of grain in anticipation for the harvest that's going to come at the festival of weeks, 50 days later. So as we think of the celebration of this Jewish festival that has brought everyone together to celebrate the end of the harvest, we will be seeing another harvest as well in Acts chapter 2. This will be a harvest of souls as they come together to celebrate God delivering them from Egypt and to celebrate the greater harvest. They will see a harvest of souls, 3,000 souls, spoiler alert. So we'll come back to the second harvest. So the Festival of Weeks is a Greek, has a Greek name, and that Greek name is Pentecost. Pentecost in the Greek means 50. So Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. When all of Israel, all of Israel gather to celebrate God delivering them from Egyptian bondage and celebrate a greater harvest, or rather the end of the grain harvest. So back to verse one. So when the day of Pentecost had arrived, so now we understand Pentecost, we understand where the word comes from. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Jews from every tribe gathered. They were in one place. What is what is interesting in, in Acts? that we see a huge, big theme about community. We see that in Acts chapter 1, verse 12. We see that same sentiment that they were together. We see it again in the end of Acts chapter 2 from verse 42. And it's becoming evident that Acts is about community. It is the first church. We're seeing multiple times that they were together. So then Luke then describes the events of Pentecost. Luke mentions three signs, three events that happened. 
And the first we see in verse two. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were staying. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were staying. So wind is a significant description here. Wind often in the Old Testament refers to the Holy Spirit. The second event we see in verse three, they saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Fire is significant here. Fire often refers to God's presence, power, and purity. In verse 3, Luke mentions that the flames of fire that rested on each of them was like a tongue. So the presence and power of God rested on them. It purified their lips and tongues. And if we look at Acts as a whole, we understand that they were being empowered to speak, empowered to witness, which is why the symbolism of tongues like flames of fire resting on them. Remember, words are important. Remember what Reina was teaching, that they are actions and words or words and deeds when he spoke about spirit-filled witness. They are words and deeds. So the third event that Luke mentions, then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So let's take a side road. Let's look at being filled with the Holy Spirit. One big theme of Acts 2 is that God keeps his promises. God can be trusted. Much like Christina saying when, when she's saying promises, and we see the theme that God keeps his promises. God isn't Arsenal, who promise great football, but don't deliver. God isn't like a new dishwasher, which promises to make you enjoy washing the dishes. It, it doesn't. It doesn't pack it itself, it doesn't collect the dishes, it doesn't repack them in the cupboard. So God isn't like a dishwasher, promises to help you enjoy washing dishes. God isn't like the, your internet provider, promising high download and upload speeds, only to find your line being throttled. God isn't like herbal tea, which promises to drop your waste side. God isn't like that face cream that promises to keep the wrinkles away. No, God is faithful. God can be trusted. And Acts chapter 2 verse 2 is a great fulfillment of a promise that God has made many times through the Old Testament prophets. We see Ezekiel, we see Jeremiah, specifically chapter 31 and Joel, speaking and alluding to God, pouring out his spirit. We see in Acts chapter 2 that Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the power and presence of God, purified lips and tongue. Peter quotes Joel in chapter, in, in verse 17 and 18. 
And it will be in the last day, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. So Peter quotes Joel. The Holy Spirit will be poured out on everyone, the young, the old, men and women. Even Jesus and John speaks about the pouring out of the Spirit. In John chapter 14, verse 15 to 17, if you love me, you will keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He's the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it does not see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. So the day of Pentecost was also about the fulfillment of the promise that Jesus will send us another helper or counselor. The Holy Spirit is also called the promised Holy Spirit, as we see in Ephesians through the words of Paul, but also from the words of Acts chapter 1, verse 48 to verse 4 to 8. What does being filled with the Holy Spirit mean? That's a great question. So I believe we need to see a range of ways we can be filled with the Holy Spirit, similar to the different gifts that we see from God. There are two extremes, however, of understanding when it comes to being filled with the Holy Spirit. One extreme is, is avoidance. Um, avoidance can be to be so shy as to not speak about being filled with the Holy Spirit or mention the Holy Spirit in that same context. And the other extreme is to abuse the feeling of the Holy Spirit, to always be talking about the feeling of the Holy Spirit, where you might see people barking or slithering like snakes, but not opening a Bible to speak, not speaking about Jesus, two extremes. We need to see that the life of the believer is spirit-filled. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. All believers have the Spirit to dwell in them. I believe being filled with the Holy Spirit simply means surrendering to the Holy Spirit to occupy all the areas of our life, guiding and leading us. So the Holy Spirit already dwells in us. So being filled by the Holy Spirit is surrendering to the Holy Spirit to occupy all the areas of our lives, guiding and leading us. So this is more of an act of obedience to God and his word rather than praying for being filled with the Holy Spirit. If we are obedient, we surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit. This infilling of the Holy Spirit then leads to empowered worship, worship meaning empowered living, so, so the deeds, and empowered witness, witness in the sense of words. The Holy Spirit can then work through us while empowering us to worship, and to witness in action or deed, in action or, or, or words. So throughout the New Testament, we see that there is a difference between the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which happens when we accept Jesus and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul in Ephesians 5 verse 18 says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's speaking here to believers, encouraging them to live in a certain way. Paul says, be intoxicated by God. Don't be intoxicated by alcohol. So that in whatever circumstance we face, we are ready to witness. In Acts, Luke means, mentions being filled with the Holy Spirit in relation to people who are already believers. And we see this in Acts chapter 4, verse 31. When they had prayed, 
the place where they were assembled was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. The people mentioned here were, were afraid of the religious authorities who had crucified Jesus. Their response was to ask God for boldness to speak and power to minister to people. And God filled them with the Holy Spirit to witness. So we shouldn't pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit, but we should pray for obedience to God's word and for the Holy Spirit to continue conforming us to the likeness of Christ. We should be so intoxicated with God and his word through the Holy Spirit. We will then grow in the fruits of the Spirit. We should also be praying for boldness and courage to witness, which is part of God's will, that we share the gospel. And God will fill us with the Holy Spirit where we are. And it might be in your office space, in light of sharing the gospel, indeed, or in word or as you're traveling around the shops, or as you see someone, whether in word or deed, the Holy Spirit empowering us in witness and worship. What's important to note is that being filled by the Holy Spirit doesn't always mean there has to be speaking in tongues. Paul in Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians says that some have the gift of, of tongues. So being filled by the Holy Spirit to empower or to witness so to witness in word and to empower in life doesn't mean there will always be tongues. So let's continue. Verse 4, which we just read. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different languages as the Spirit enabled them. They were speaking in different tongues. What is clear in Acts 2 is that these were other known languages. We see this in verse, verses 5 to 13. People from all different parts of the world as, as Tandi we read for us, could understand and hear these different languages being spoken. So these people came when they heard these, these events happening, but they were able to understand the people that were there because they were speaking different languages and tongues. There's another place in the Bible, 1 Corinthians uh, verse 14, which speaks about tongues in a different context for edification of the body. So in 1 Corinthians 14, tongues has a different context to what we see in Acts 2. Acts 2's tongues are referring to evangelism. And we're seeing everyone being filled with the power and presence of God, purified lips to speak life, to speak the gospel in different languages. What we should be seeing here is that the life of the believer is a spirit-filled life. We have the guarantee of the Holy Spirit in us. Jesus sent us the counselor. We should also see that we need the Holy Spirit. Jesus says to his disciples, they must wait for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will enable them to be spirit-empowered witnesses. We see this again in, in Luke. This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead. And the third day, in the repentance of, in, in, in repentance for forgiveness of sins, will be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And look, I'm sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you're empowered from on high. We should also note that the gospel is for everyone. That's what we see. Those filled with the Holy Spirit speaking in different tongues, they're speaking to different people of different walks of life, and those people are understanding them. So we've seen the events of Pentecost. Let's better understand the explanation of these events. 
there are two immediate responses that we see um, in Acts chapter 2. One of the responses we see in verse 13 says they sneered. Other translations says they mocked. So some are mocking those speaking in tongues. They are saying they're drunk on wine. Then the other response in verse 12 is we see them perplexed, astounded. And they're asking, what does this mean? What does the events of Pentecost mean? Then enter Paul, uh, enter Peter with the first sermon. This is actually a response to the question that is asked, what does this mean? So Peter's explaining what the events of Pentecost are not first out the gate. He says, they're not drunk as some who mocked them said. He says, it's only nine in the morning. They are not drunk. Then Peter starts explaining the events of Pentecost. Peter uses four points when he explains the events of Pentecost. The first point Peter makes is that prophecy is fulfilled. This is Joel who prophesied and Peter quotes him. Verse 17 to 18, we read this a few moments ago. And it will be in the last day, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. So the second point Peter makes is that we are in the last days. Peter makes this point right out in the beginning. And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all you people. He's already done that, so we are in the last days. What does it mean that we're in the last days? It means Jesus is returning. It means there must be a sense of urgency because Jesus is returning soon. There must be a sense of urgency to be spirit-filled witnesses, to share the gospel. The third point Peter makes is that we can all know God and make him known. We can all know God and make him known. I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. Joel says they will prophesy. Seems like a contradiction to Paul in 1 Corinthians, but it's not. Paul in 1 Corinthians says not all will prophesy. Paul in 1 Corinthians is speaking about the gift of prophecy. But in this context, Joel is not speaking about the gift of prophecy. And Peter, as he's quoting him, is not speaking about the gift of prophecy, but he's speaking about the posture of a believer. So the posture of a believer should be to make God known as we know him. So let's contrast this with the old covenant. So before the death of Jesus and us being adopted into his family through the cross, the old covenant we see, we see prophets who receive a revelation from God. These prophets receive revelation from God and give that revelation to the people. Now under the new covenant, we have God's word. We have the Bible. God has revealed himself to us through the Bible. So we can study the Bible and we can make God known. So in this context, it's not speaking about the, pro- the, the prophecy as a gift, but it's speaking about prophecy as a posture of a believer, that we have the revelation of God in his word, and that we should make him known. So that should be the posture of the believer. As Peter continues to explain the events of Pentecost, he uses a lot of imagery. We see that in verses 19 to 21, basically speaking about the times before Jesus returns. But what's important is verse 21. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Peter's saying, you can know God. You can be saved if you call on his name. So the events of Pentecost mean prophecies fulfilled. It means we are in the last days. 
Our last days are upon us. And it means everyone can know God and make him known. And to know him, you call on his name. The fourth and last point that Peter makes is that Jesus has ascended to the throne. Peter from verse 22 speaks about Jesus. His whole sermon is about Jesus. Speaks about Jesus. Um, Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be helped by death. So Peter's saying, you know Jesus. You saw the miracles, wonders, and signs he performed in the name of God, but lawless people nailed him to the cross. But that was still God's plan. It was God's determined plan. So God raised him up and he conquered death. Peter's speaking about the death and resurrection of Jesus. Verse 32 says, God has raised us, Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. He has poured out what you both see and hear. Peter saying Jesus has risen. We are witnesses to Jesus being risen. He has ascended and he has given us the promised Holy Spirit, fulfilled prophecy, and he has poured out this Holy Spirit on us. And you can see this. You can see it here and you can hear it. That's what Peter said. Peter here is speaking about the good news. He's speaking about the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. Speaking about the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. Verse 37. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day 3,000 were added to them. And we see that as, as Luke has written, um, he used many other words to testify. Because this response Luke summarized was not verbatim as, 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 as Peter said it on that day. He summarized it for us. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. So those who accepted this message were, were baptized, and 3,000 were added to their number. Remember the first harvest. So at, at Pentecost, they're celebrating the, this greater harvest um, of grain, so the end of the grain harvest. And now we're seeing a harvesting of souls, 3,000 of them being harvested. That's the second harvest. So the events of Pentecost are ultimately about the promised Holy Spirit, which is fulfilled in the moment of scripture. The promised Holy Spirit is our comforter, our helper, and a guarantee that we belong to God. The Holy Spirit helps us to witness, gives us the power and presence of God, purified lips, and tongue to share the gospel. The disciples needed the Holy Spirit. And we saw that in Luke 24. 
They needed the Holy Spirit to empower them from on high. Peter, who also a few days ago denied Jesus, a few weeks ago denied Jesus, now filled with the Holy Spirit, standing up to speak about Jesus around officials that would still crucify him, now empowered with the Holy Spirit speaking. So the promised Holy Spirit is fulfillment of scripture as we've seen. We are in the last days. We have the Holy Spirit who gives us the power and presence of God to speak about God, to declare the magnificent acts of God. We saw that Jesus asked his disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit who was promised and then to share the gospel to the ends of the earth. We have the Holy Spirit, so we should be sharing the gospel to the ends of the earth. We know that Peter denied Jesus a few weeks ago, but now, full with the Holy Spirit, full with the power and presence of God, is able to teach the gospel fearlessly. So the word of God and the spirit of God is enough to complete the mission of God in making God known to the ends of the earth. The word of God and the spirit of God is enough to complete the mission of God in making God known to the ends of the earth. It doesn't mean the only way to share the gospel is preaching up front. It's also inviting people into your home. It's sharing the gospel in your workspace. It's sharing the gospel in whatever space you might find yourself in. It's loving people and pointing them to the cross. It's sharing the gospel. It is both deed and word as we've seen. So the Holy Spirit empowers us in worship and in witness. So we've already spoken about community being a large part of Acts. And we see in in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, that this is still the case. So the events of Pentecost changed how these people related with one another, changed how how they did life. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Their lives were changed by the promised Holy Spirit. Their lives were changed by the events and message of Pentecost. We too should be changed by the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. If you're a believer, you should love and desire to be with God's people. You should love and desire to speak and hear from God and reading the Bible and pray. And also reading the Bible with others and praying with others. That's what we see here. They did life together. As they did life on life, they were edified to see God in each other's lives. They were edified to see God in each other's lives. They met in the temple every day, life on life. The life of someone filled with the Holy Spirit should be different. We should proclaim Jesus. We should be together pointing one another to the cross of Christ. We are working through this book to see the life of the early church. To learn from the life of the early church. To be encouraged and edified from the life of the early church. The promised Holy Spirit is fulfillment of scripture. And the promised Holy Spirit will conform us to the likeness of Christ enabling us to share the gospel with power and presence of God, purified lips and tongue. The promised Holy Spirit will draw us into community to live life on life and life on mission. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you that this morning we can come to you, we can hear from you through your word. We pray that as we see the life of the early church, as we see Acts 2 as a whole, that you would continue to challenge us where we need to be challenged, change us where we need to be changed, edify us where we need to be edified. As we continue to consume this word and this word stays within our heart, I pray that you would enable us, much like the early church, specifically now as we're able to start meeting more physically, that you would enable us to, to reach the people that you would want us to reach. Lay it upon our hearts how you want us to witness and where you want us to witness. Lay it upon our hearts to be in community, to be encouraged, to be trained, and to be rebuked by one another as we come to your word. That through us and through the Holy Spirit that we would be built up, that through us and through the Holy Spirit that we would be able to grow in the fruits of the Spirit. Give us boldness to always ask you for for help in, in sharing the gospel wherever you've placed us. Help us to be obedient to your word. Help us this morning as we go out, part us with your blessing, continue to speak to us and challenge us. Continue to tell us those things that you want us to know, to say and do. May the meditation of our heart be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name.